The Offsite Podcast is presented by Offsite Consulting, offering financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Find Offsite on the web at auphsite.com. It's the Offsite Podcast, episode one. I'm Joe Taylor here with CEO and founder of Offsite Consulting, Darnell Suleiman. We're here at Benjamin's desk in Center City, Philadelphia, kicking off a series of conversations about the mistakes that founders make and some of the best practices that founders can adopt. And I thought for the first few episodes of the podcast, we would talk about both founders on the nonprofit side and on the for-profit side. So for folks who are new or maybe hitting the site for the first time, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the business of advising nonprofits and startups. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, thanks, Joe. Uh, I have been an accountant since 1997. Um, I have primarily worked as a, a serial or I've been a serial entrepreneur. So I always uh, I, I found a lot of excitement of starting businesses, closing them, finding a new venture, closing them, making a little money, getting out the market. Uh, then around uh, in 2008, I did some work in, for an NGO for uh, United Nations. That went okay, but I, I, I soon realized that it's best for me to go work for yourself. I enjoy working for myself. So I went back to my passion as uh, an accounting uh, along with that, at the same time, I started studying uh, a lot of uh, Harvard's work, Michael Porter's work, uh, uh, and w- and one one of the things that began to emerge was what I saw with a lot of uh, the startups, uh, and, and even with my my struggle of trying to get bring my company to market, there were fundamental things that. Uh, that people missed out on, uh, entrepreneurs missed out on, not just as an accountant or entrepreneurs, but, or, or did they miss how to understand the strategy and how to think and how to bring an idea to the market, how to create a competitive advantage. Uh, and so I said, you know what? Hmm, I could probably make some money doing this. And so that's kind of how I got started. Uh, I got noticed by uh, one of the prominent law firms here and uh, and they they were uh, I, w- I would say they were definitely instrumental in pushing my my company out there in terms of the forensic accounting side, not not so much more the general accounting side, and um, and the rest I guess as they say is history. So you spend your time primarily working with uh, small to medium sized organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, these include charter schools, startup organizations, small nonprofits. I would say about uh, at least seventy-five percent of my clients are nonprofits. Uh, the other twenty-five are are uh, owner-operated. This was given to me as one of my attorneys. They call them owner-operated uh, 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 com- companies, uh, and um, and in the uh, nonprofit sector, it's pretty much charter schools. Uh, in the business side, it's it's more of the construction firms. Uh, uh, actually, I'm about to pick up a defense contractor now, which is interesting about how that plays out. Uh, but yeah, so one of the things that uh, we looked at when putting the series together. It's interesting that you say owner operated because according to the US Census Bureau, 
Uh, even now, about 50% of the companies in the United States are owner-operated, small businesses, often run out of a founder's home. And so when we talk about small businesses and startups, m- more than half of these companies are still at that point in their growth where they're micro-businesses, they're mm-hmm. tiny. And so what we wanted to do today was look at a study from a company called CB Insights. They run a venture capital database and they mm-hmm. analyzed uh, essays that they asked 101 entrepreneurs to fill out after their companies closed, after the companies failed. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So, okay. so, this panel of 101 entrepreneurs filled out the survey, told researchers why they thought their company was no longer able to continue. And so I'm going to throw some of these at you and you can share some of your insights as to you know, how that happens and what you and clients of yours have been able to do to not fall into those same pitfalls. Okay. Okay. The first one on the list that, um, you know, obviously the biggest reason why new companies fail is lack of interest in the product or service that they're selling. So there's not a market fit, or maybe the product or service was too ambitious. <laughs> um, but rather than look at that one, because usually you can look after the fact and say, yeah, we kind of see why that one didn't gain traction. Let's look at number two on the list, which was miscalculating cash flow versus costs. Now, in your experience, how does a business just run out of cash? I, I, immediate, it's your pricing. Uh, uh, one one of the things I had to learn immediately was to build my product. Get first deliver, understand my product, understand my service, uh, assure uh, that I'm able to compete against uh, industry leaders. Then uh, bill, you know, uh, charge accordingly, uh, you know, very similar to what the industry leaders would will will will, will charge for their fees. Uh, uh, I, some of the best advice I got was from you. Was <laughs> can I tell you some of the best advice I got was actually from two people, yourself and another gentleman, was charge market rate. Do not uh, don't do don't undercut. Uh, and, and, and even charge a premium because in uh, charging a premium and you know you have a, a good product, a good service, you're looking for clients, customers who appreciate that, who have who, who already uh, have an affinity for that, that, that product and service. And, they, and, and they, they thrive off of you uh, delivering a good quality service or product. So uh, I find I think a lot of times it's, it comes down to pricing. Um, uh, I think you, uh, you have to network, uh, but I, I, I would say first pricing, pricing, uh, and, and you have to understand your operations, what it costs for you to operate. Uh, what I, what, what I try to do with clients, if I, if I'm taking a job and mind you, I'm a consultant, so, um, I have very little overhead costs, but if I'm trying to do a job and a job is, um, uh, you know, I, I want to walk away with uh, uh, seventy cents on a dollar, <laughs> fifty. <laughs> I know that's, that's I know that's like up there, but 
that's that's what I'm you know uh, that's what I'm I'm striving to walk away with, and I know with different industries that's going to change. When when you speak with clients who are owner operators, mm-hmm. what are some of the reasons why they might undervalue their products or services? They don't have confidence in their their own delivery. They need to further their education. They have not carved out. They they do not understand the demographic that they're really seeking to serve. Uh, they may have um, uh, they, their expenses also may be uh, too high, uh, but often it it to me it, it comes down to that they really don't understand the market because you you someone will pay the price for the premium, and 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 it's our job as the, the business owner to deliver that message to the client. So figuring out how to deliver that message of value mm-hmm. is really paramount. According to the survey from CB Insights, 29 out of the 101 entrepreneurs they surveyed said that they just failed to keep enough money in the bank to keep going. How does, how, <laughs> how does that happen? How do you think that 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 that's that's definitely operations. That's definitely misappropriations. When I say misappropriations, they're commingling. They're, they're commingling operating costs with their personal lifestyle. Uh, but that's a very broad answer because uh, mm-hmm. when, when as you said that, my brain said, "Oh, y'all don't. It's it's you don't understand what it costs for you to operate." Mm-hmm. That's what my brain said. So how do you how do you run out of money? Uh, and 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 you, you you as a business owner, then then that t- also tells me you do not have an understanding of how to operate the 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 company that you said you 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 have. So that's also that that's telling me um, my experience. You know, of course, I said, well, you're talking about taking a fifty cents to seventy cents off a dollar and walking away. You know, there are. The restaurant industry is one of those industries where uh, it can be uh, underfunded. Capitalization, you don't have enough capital com- coming in. Um, uh, but there are, right now, when we talk about you know, these, these, the home-based businesses, that's not normally the case. Oftentimes, it's people who have not taken the time to outline their business model, what it costs to operate, understand their demographics, and what is their personal uh, living costs also. And 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 as you, you know, you have to take in consideration your personal living costs, your cost of doing business, put those two together, and 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 find that that model and feed that back to your client in terms of services and how much you want you want to, you want you want them to pay. Does it pay off for an owner operator or a founder to be? Guarded or pessimistic about the cash flow they're going to generate. Guard is good. A little fear is good. It keeps you. It keeps you uh, not to be. Uh, you don't want to be wasteful. Be be very deliberate in how you spend your money. But it, I think if you're too guarded, uh, as people have told me. When I came here to Philadelphia, Darnell is a market here, and I, and I didn't believe it. 
you know, there's a market. And and I was, you know, I was I, I thought I had to go really to another market. Uh, 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 had to go to New York City, had to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, and I was I was pessimistic until uh, I, I was able to get a client. Uh, they understood my uh, well, first immediate first thing someone told me was change what I was billing. So I was billing, I was charging 50 an hour. Somebody said charge 250 an hour. And I said, you're crazy, not in this market. And once I got one, one of the first contracts, I immediately understood, oh, there's a market. Some, somebody will pay for the service. Uh, uh, so when it comes to, to these people being pessimistic, I think I think they have to get a better understanding of what it costs for you to operate and how much you know. Do, do you understand the 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 the, the client uh, or the demographics you're 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 going after? And and if you don't understand that, then I think that 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 mindset will will prevail. Where does somebody build up the skill necessary to understand the? operational side of a business. If you're thinking about the typical founder, small business owner, they're going into business because they have a certain skill or mm-hmm. a talent or a drive in some way. But in cases like this, where almost a third of the folks in the study just ran out of money, they're, they're lacking a competency of some kind. So how does somebody build their professional, mm-hmm. how do they round out that growth while still trying to run their company? I would, it, you know, this might sound self-serving, <laughs> but definitely hire professional service, people who are professional, people who are consultants, people who are, uh, who are um, marketing, marketing people, accountants, lawyers. I, I had to learn, and it's interesting because with my, uh, as, a, as you're, I'm really, uh, considering your question, the small business people, we try to do everything ourselves. Stick to what you do good. If you're good at uh, cupcakes, accounting, whatever, whatever's your thing, uh, uh, app development, if that's your thing, stick to that. Then hire the professional service people who can assist you in, in those other areas that you, know, that, 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 that you don't have an expertise at. I will also say, Read periodicals. For me, it was Harvard Business Review. It was Michael Porter. It took off in my head, and I and I said, "Oh, because." But also, I had uh, prior to me opening opening offsite consulting, I had three other or, uh, companies, and it was very. I had a management firm, a cleaning firm, a, a, a bakery, and a cell phone store. So, yeah, I was kind of everywhere, man. So yeah, but <laughs> but, that's, you bring, yeah. but that speaking to the idea of how you set rates, you bring experience from all those endeavors into the consulting that you provide, which yes. is why you're able to charge what you're yes. able to charge, yes. right? Now, it's interesting, two of the things I just heard you say also showed up on this list of the reasons why businesses fail in the first two years. And these things should be contradictory. One of them is hiring too many people, and another one is doing too much yourself. <laughs> it seems like there's two opposite ends of the spectrum here, but they both afflict small business owners. So when does it make sense to hire somebody in-house versus outsourcing specific tasks? Interesting. Good, great question. Uh, 
for me, starting out, I, I, I outsourced everything. Because uh, if you bring it in house, you have to pay matching taxes and whatever local taxes, health care, those things. And um, and I'll be the first to tell you, uh, you know, those if if you're if your first two two to five years, you're still uh, uh, trying to uh, get a get an understanding of you know how you're going to compete and what what are your costs of operations. So I'll say you know um, I had I, I'm the I would tell you outsource. Uh, uh, I have three CPAs. They're all outsource. Now, when it comes to bringing someone else in, it comes down to me bringing like an executive assistant. That's someone because they're they are someone who handles uh, things with me operationally, and 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 uh, oftentimes you will be teaching them the culture of your business and your thinking style. So that that's a little more intimate. Um, I would say it depends on the level, the level of how intimate, not personal, but how how intimate that that relationship, you know, that that position will be is when you have to make that determination. Uh, but but see, also with experience. So, you know, if you have an executive spirit, uh, executive assistant who. You're going to bring in, and and they are they're familiar with your you know your industry, the market, and they are able to demonstrate that level of professionalism. You may not even have to bring them in at all. I it, and I and I it, it comes down to um, you know what are you comfortable with, and what how 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 much of can can your bottom uh, how much of your uh, your your revenue can can what, what I'm trying to say. How much of that can that be absorbed? You know, because when you know, you also have to take that in consideration. Can if I hire somebody, can can I afford all these taxes? Can I afford? Can I afford these things? So I think it also comes down. It, it comes down to ah, that's a good one, Joe. That's a good one. You got me there. That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> was that clear, man? Yeah, I okay. think I think that okay. was clear. Okay. But let's drill down a little deeper. Uh, when you advise companies about structuring their books, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that is catching up a number of Silicon Valley companies right now is a failure to make the strong distinction between someone who's going to be a paid staff member, mm-hmm. an employee, mm-hmm. versus someone who's an independent contractor on a 1099. Mm-hmm. So what's the threshold for you when you advise companies? Who gets to be an employee and who should be an independent contractor? Human capital. Okay. I, I would say that how involved they're going to be with the project, um, uh, intellectual property, What's the value they they bring uh, to the organization? You want to you want to snatch that person up. Uh, also, because it's interesting, I just had I just uh, had a um, experience where I had to let somebody go. They their their competency was crazy. They were really good, but they didn't fit the culture. So that that was the that was the 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 the. Uh, my pet peeve was man, and and they knew uh, 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 
in ex external auditing. But what I found was the problem was was that um, they did not fit the uh, what I was trying to uh, present to the clients. And that that's what, you know, in terms of the culture of, of offsite consulting. Um, but immediately my, my brain thinks of, you know, uh, if, if, if this is a person and, and y'all are working on application development and, you know, uh, and uh, they, they add value. When I say add value, you can quantify that very fast uh, and, 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 and qualitatively, you know, put that on paper. That's the person you want to slowly, and, and even if you don't have the capital, you know, draft up something for uh, shares, you know, and 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 and, and, and defer some type of a reduced payment later on. But yeah, th that type of person you want to bring in fast, man. So it sounds like the the real distinction in selecting. Uh, a 1099 independent contractor versus bringing somebody as an employee mm -hmm. really has to do with are if they are conducting a very specialized task mm -hmm. that doesn't require a lot of hours in a week that tends to fall in the bucket of find a strong outsourced independent contractor yes. or a service agency that can do that for you. Exactly. But for those roles that are really going to drive both the culture and the operation of a company, yes. that's bring somebody in house, find that talent, bring them in. Definitely. Great. Definitely. Now the, um, the other thing on that list around doing too much yourself, even if you have started to bring people in, what are some of the things that, Owner operators, founders, uh, small business owners, what do they need to delegate more of? What are folks doing too much of themselves? Immediately day to day tasks, calling back leads, paying bills, opening mails, or, or opening the mail, opening the mail. Stick to, uh, I, I, look, I look at, um, it's interesting because uh, I look at what what I do as a business or what, what a person may do in a business as program. That's programs. In accounting, where we say, I mean, a nonprofit where we say, oh, what's your program? My program is uh, research and development for uh, measles. That's, so oftentimes what, what, what you'll find with, with uh, small business owners, they do not spend enough uh, uh, quality time working their program, working, you know, and 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 so oftentimes we're 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 you know we're opening mail, uh, uh, doing accounting, uh, trying to do marketing. No, 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 no. That's not your business. So uh, take the time, do whatever you know. Do what. Tell uh, see. I'm not sure if everybody would get this word program because we know what that means. You know whatever whatever industry you're in, whatever your business. Uh, focus on whatever service and product. That's what the business owner should focus on, and he should remove himself. You know, uh, uh, and 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 hire. You know, he can still have delegation, but hire uh, if he needs to hire other people. Let him do that. Uh, oftentimes, we're we're we suffer not understanding the uh, uh, first and often business owners have to understand that you know how much time do I have in a day. And, and I delegate this to this person, and I can do this. Uh, someone taught me cost benefit. So, 
and 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 and, and uh, business owners have to understand what is the cost for uh, for for me to do it versus what's the cost to have someone else do it at a lesser rate, still same level of quality. It's off of my desk, and I can focus on what I'm good at doing. You know, I I hear that a lot. Actually, the idea of the cost benefit or the opportunity cost, mm-hmm. where a small business owner might say, I can do this faster than somebody <laughs> else that, that does it. And it sounds like that comes back to the idea of how you set your rate. You know, the, uh, the example I always love is the plumber. You know, a plumber is on standby, and when a plumber shows up at your house and you pay him $200, you know, that you're not paying for. $200 for 15 minutes of snaking your drain, you're paying $200 for all of the experience and the knowledge that they bring in that moment. And yet a lot of business owners fall back on that idea of valuing time by the minute mm-hmm. and starting to think, well, if I can do this task in 15 minutes, someone else might take an hour so I feel like I should do it because I can do it faster. But re- but if you get good at delegation, that is correct, and you get good, and that comes back to what the big thread of this conversation has been about: focus on operations. The mm-hmm. idea that if you can get yourself to where operationally you can wait an hour for that task to be done, you now have saved yourself that fifteen minutes that you can use for higher level executive decision making which doesn't sound like much but you bring up the example of opening the mail you know each piece of mail is an opportunity to make an executive decision That's about right. what you're going to do That's how right. you're going to react is this a bill that needs to be paid right now mm-hmm. does it get put in the hopper you know if you have a system or a member of your team that's taking care of all of the tasks related to that mm-hmm. then you can focus more on growing your business. Yes. A, a friend of mine always says, she lives in New York and says, every time you leave your apartment in Manhattan, it costs you $10. Because no matter what you do, you're either going to get in a cab, you're going to buy a slice of pizza, you're going to do something else. <laughs> I feel mail is the same thing. You yeah. know, every time you open a letter, it's going to cost you. Yeah. And that cost is the time it takes for you to decide what to do about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, no, it's... It, you know, I, I like your 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 plumber example. It's when the plumber shows up and he just tar- charged you two hundred dollars for fifteen minutes. You're paying for competency and peace of mind. And 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 I and I believe uh, people who uh, firms who use professional service people such as myself, that's what you're paying for. Uh, you you want to be able to go walk away, know the job's going to be done right. Uh, no, that and and, and 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 the rate was fair, but at the end, end of the day, the job was done right. I'm good. I'm I'm done now. I can work on expanding the company. And business owners have to understand you're you're in a business for expansion. You can't stay stagnant. You can't stay the same because there's always someone out there looking to mimic what you do, take your market share, and move on. So that you know they have to understand that. So it's not just a case of building out a business to fit a fixed target. The target keeps moving? Target's always moving. Target's always moving. Always always moving. (laughs) I want to come back to something that I heard you say earlier, the idea about commingling funds. Okay. And this actually came up on the list as a common reason why 
uh, businesses ran out of cash. <laughs> Not surprised. It's, and, and I think, it, again, it speaks to the idea of folks that are getting into business for a variety of motivations, but maybe lack the discipline or lack the understanding of how to, how to keep books or how to keep those things separate. Um, one thing I heard you say was that uh, organizations that you've encountered that have run into situations because the owner operator, the founder is chasing a lifestyle as opposed to building the business. Tell me a little bit more about that. So <laughs> it's interesting. That, that, okay. So I think oftentimes when people say, wow, people say, I want to own my own company. And I had a young lady in my office, I want to own my own nonprofit. And I said, oh, you do? And the entire time she was talking about how she's going to work a couple hours a week, uh, she'll come and sign checks, have this nice car, I'm going to help people. So I said, oh, yeah. So I said, I need you to do me a favor. She's like, what? I said, I said get on your knees for me. So she gets on her knees. I said, but continue telling me what you're going to do. And she's, I mean, she's going to, Joe, she's going into a lot of detail. And I said, now I need you to lay flat. Now she's laying. She's still telling me. I didn't realize your consulting sessions were so visceral. You're actually. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, this person I had to go. I said, this is how business starts from the ground up. I said, now one time did you tell me how you're going to expand, expand, expand. So oftentimes, when, when people see themselves in business, they see lifestyle. Nothing wrong with that. But your lifestyle your, slash your vision has to be matched with an equal or greater level of output. Uh, so, when we, when, so what I've seen is people who have open nonprofits, uh, they have an understanding of grant requirements. They'll fill out the grants. They'll fill out some of these programs. But they may be tr- giving themselves a salary that's 25% above market. And, and, and they're just meeting the, you know, the, the benchmarks uh, of the uh, reporting authorities. They uh, do not really care about how to uh, get a, have a competitive advantage in the market. Their only concern is that they can go down to coach, not knock and coach. <laughs> they can go, you know, get the Lexus they want, whatever. But not, ex- not, not how, to, how to take a product, compete in the market, and expand it and grow it. And I, I find those people are, you know, they, 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 they have a fascination of, what the business scene could look like, you know, it, it makes them feel important, you know, and that's that. That's to me, if my interpretation of that lifestyle vision. For me, I do have a lifestyle, but I, I had the business. I had to go build a company first before. Uh, I think I told you I'm going on my third trip this year before I can take three trips, and I and I suffered for the first two years building this company. Now I can walk away, go somewhere enjoy myself, come back, business is still going, I have great relationships with clients. So I think oftentimes people only see the, you know, uh, the, the fantasy on television. 
Mm. It's it's interesting because we see a lot of shows on TV lately. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of things like uh, Marcus on The Prophet, where we're basically someone will parachute into a business and ask questions like these, like how how did it get like this? And and almost always it's because there's somebody in that business whose reality doesn't necessarily line up with the vision of where the business could go. Or sustainability. Or the sustainability, the reality of what their market looks like right now. Yeah. Um, So specific to commingling funds, Mm -hmm. right? What happens uh, knowing that you drop in and often do forensic audits Mm -hmm. of companies and organizations, sometimes that's a proactive request where Mm -hmm. a company will ask you to come in and say, what's really going on in our books? And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's from an outside uh, request, an attorney or an agency that's looking into where money went. Mm -hmm. Um, When you end up looking at where the money went, how does money just leak out of a company or an organization? Immediately, uh, um, great question. Uh, Immediately is, is policy and procedures. It's uh, and, and, and everything starts with if who's in charge, who are the people who, who, you know, who sign off, you know, what protocols do you have in place before an expenditure is go is, you know, is leaves the bank. Um, they often uh, the board. So first, normally, lately, it's been the board of directors who bring me in, not partners, uh, when I say part, I'm referring to uh, small businesses with LLCs with you know multiple people. Normally, it's uh, the board of directors will bring me in and say, "Look, you know, uh, we we believe there's embezzlement. Can you come in and take a look at it?" And uh, and 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 in almost every uh, situation, what I did find was the board of directors were not doing their job. Not you know. Uh, they didn't have a financial committee. They didn't have policy and procedures. They didn't have. Uh, now, I recommend two internal uh, uh, audits each year: one hard, one soft. Uh, the uh, the hard ones in prep for when you know your external auditors come in. The the, the soft audits more of you know reviewing contracts, vendors, that type of thing. But uh, with, in the case of nonprofits, you, what I've what I've normally see is that as also if if there's a, an ability still. That that there's a there there's a an existing relationship uh, a a family working or family relationship or a close friend relationship with the board members, and 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 it has uh, actually I've always seen this it hasn't failed. Uh, so when we when 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 we do see embezzlement slash commingling, that's what happens. We there's people do not have the proper financial policy and procedures in place. Uh, and uh, and then you normally see it's only one person who's in charge of uh, making you know the decision making for disbursements, and they normally have one patsy. I, I hate to say it, yeah, yeah. So so in a situation assuming positive intent, let's think about a small business owner operator maybe a handful of employees could be the kind of small family construction or cleaning business that we mm-hmm. talked about um, w- at what point does commingling become flat out embezzlement what's the threshold 
or is there no distinction? Here, it's just here, two here, words for the same okay. thing. Here's here, here's 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 what I would say. Normally, it's not. It's, normally, what you'll see is this. Somebody has a small little janitorial company. The construction firm I see needing a little more capital, but small little janitorial company, and uh, they're really fighting to stay in business. So they may use their, you know, their, their same car as the, their business banking account car, maybe buy groceries, go pay a bill. It's not correct, not right. Uh, versus uh, one, which is one of my clients who went out buying Gucci, going into Harris, going to Lang City, buying a new Land Rover has nothing construction related with the Land Rover. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's it's, so, it's hauling concrete, right? It's, yeah, it's got yeah. room in the truck. <laughs> so you know, and so the 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 threshold is where if I can look at your books and see you're not really struggling. You're not really struggling, and your um and 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 you're taking ATM withdrawals of five hundred, three hundred dollars a week. That's embezzling. That's that's that. Well, I can't say that that's strong. That is, it's interesting because I, I think I'm getting your other part of your question. That's strong commingling. Embezzlement is where no one else knows that you're taking money and you're taking the money out through. Through another exit, you, maybe you create a fictitious company, maybe through your payroll disbursements, maybe through ATMs or credit cards. You got me. So that's that's a distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now when I'm beginning to see the patterns, also that um, amounts of like maybe three hundred thousand dollars, four hundred a million dollars. There's also more than one person assisting in this theft. So so when you get to scale, you can't pull it off. Alone, you have to have other. You said there's a there's usually a patsy. There's there's only a patsy, <laughs> but there's usually an accomplice or someone that's yeah. that someone. It's not so easy, even in a relatively small organization, mm-hmm. to get around that oversight. You know what I heard you say was oftentimes in cases like this, you realize there's some kind of extracurricular connection between yes. the parties, either a family bond yes. or. Uh, romantic entanglement yes. of some kind. Yes, that my, one of my last case it w- it was uh, two co-directors of a company, and they had a love affair, and they both agreed pretty much to take money. And um, and it was interesting because uh, no one it, it had had not the board started asking questions. I think they could have got got on with it. Uh, forever, but the but what happened also was the relationship went sour, and one person wanted to talk, and the other one didn't, and so yeah. When you see that happening, what is the motivation? Is it all lifestyle? Is there a sense of entitlement? Is it just ego? What what makes somebody cross that line into that space? I'm, I'm considering my last three embezzlement cases. I would say ego and lifestyle. Uh, one of my cases, a gentleman took some money and 
dealt with the authorities, came back home, took more money. After dealing with the authorities? After dealing with the took authorities. More. Took thought, more. Well, they're not going to look at me a second time. Yeah, took okay. more. So you have to say, really? Come on, come on, man. Seriously. Uh, and 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 one of the uh, one of the authorities called that uh, uh, economic sociopath, which I was like, interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, where this this person had um, n- no remorse uh, because once you know you you make bail and somebody say don't do it again and you go do it, you gotta say what is it is it something, what's, what's really going on here? Uh, but also. He was living a lifestyle. And oftentimes what I've seen, actually every single time, is you're taking this money, you're, you're presenting an image to your coworkers, to family members, and, 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 and you've built this persona about yourself. And you're now believing that the money that is ill-gotten is actually a real, it's real. <laughs> this persona is real and you have to, and, and, and more often you want to live that persona on. You know, you want that to be an ongoing concern. Uh, is, is that an yeah, ongoing concern? Mm-hmm. That's what we say in business. So, uh, and so, yeah. And what I, what I, what I, what I realized um, was, uh, you know, the, the, uh, what I also learned, these people have very, their ethics, they were out of ethics and out of integrity. So, and yeah. I was going to ask if, if it was a lack of integrity or whether bottle service at the club is just that good that you don't want to give it up at a certain point. You know, that lifestyle, the fancy car, the going out to clubs every night, the, a lot of the stuff that folks try to pass off as that's what success looks like to them. Um, what, when you see someone that's successfully operating a business, are, are they living that same lifestyle? What's the lifestyle look like for a successful owner operator or the successful CEO? So one of my, uh, one of my mentors in my early days when I had a cleaning uh, company, uh, they lived in a beautiful area in Voorhees maybe a half a million dollar home, very conservative. Wife had a Land Rover, he had a BMW. But what I did here, what, what she told me, how when they got started, you know, they uh, 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 she worked full time and he started off small. He went and got his certifications. Uh, he, uh, he did networking, he, you know, um, what else? He was very disciplined. Uh, I didn't see him like flash. Actually, he only drove his BMW once in a while. He didn't drive his BMW every day. He had like a little, little uh, Subaru or something. He drove around. You know, he had a janitorial company, uh, and um, they, you know, they, they, they were very conservative. They took their family trips. You know, and and I remember when I when I, when I started competing against him. <laughs> We were both at the meetings at the same time, looking for a bid. You know, it, it it was it was it was he had a he had there was a very deliberate process in making his company uh, ethically sustainable. You know, I didn't see him take shortcuts. He had uh, 
and and to this day he has such a, a, a immense love for what he you know what he was building, um, and that's not to say the people who embezzled it and have that they somehow they they decided to or from whether it's television or whatever you know they wanted to align themselves with the imagery and i didn't see that with him uh and they were really well off and 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 what i saw was a man who was dis who who wanted to deliver a good product uh to his clients uh and and i, and I did not see him take shortcuts you know uh he paid us fair uh, I remember when when we became he and I became competitors. His wife told me I can't come around no more. <laughs> you're, not but, allowed, you're not invited yeah, to Thanksgiving invited. anymore. But but it's all good. It's respect. A healthy competition. Yeah, exactly. I'm reminded of a, a book that has influenced me called The Millionaire Next Door, and the premise of the book was a statistical analysis of people that actually had more than a million dollars in the bank. And what the authors discovered was that they drove a Land Rover or a BMW, but they might have had that BMW for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And they weren't leasing the BMW and changing out to a new model every nine months, mm-hmm. which is what we see folks do sometimes. Yes. The idea comes back to your definition of success. And if your definition of success equates to comfort and stability and security mm-hmm. you can build that million dollars and spend it what we would say conservatively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to the breed of business owner that very much wants to get into a luxury lifestyle the conspicuous consumption yes that that we often see mm-hmm. and i think what those authors discovered was that very often, I think the comparison they did was uh, a developer or an attorney who had slugged away in their role at um, you know a, a strong, definitely in a top five percent salary, but they buy one pair of shoes for five hundred dollars and have that shoe repaired mm. every time <laughs> instead of going to the shoe store yeah. every three weeks, yeah. going to Allen Edmonds and just buying new shoes every every month. Yeah. Because the culture that they were in was one where you got praise for having something new yeah. all the time. But the reality is that the the person who had socked away the million dollars got to retire at age fifty five, mm-hmm. and then didn't have to even participate in any of that mm-hmm. lifestyle stuff yeah. anymore. So there's a there's a path to that, and that brings me to the final question for this episode, which comes to how does one structure a business so that you can protect yourself mm-hmm. from yourself. Uh, and protect yourself from, say, uh, paying too much taxes, paying too much in overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, the question I'm getting at, and one of the things that the survey from CB Insights found out was that many of the businesses that had failed had structured under the wrong corporate structure. Mm-hmm. So we've got C Corp, S Corp, LLC. Take mm-hmm. us through the distinction between those three. Okay, cool. So, uh, sole proprietorship LLC, um, uh, sole proprietorship pretty much is, is, is you use your social security number uh, and, and your social security number is used to open up a bank account, 
use it when you're you know getting certain registrations or license from your the local municipalities and and uh, all your revenue expenses fall on your 1040. Uh, if, if someone gets hurt, they are, you are li- personally liable. With the LLC, very similar, but it's called limited liability company. Uh, and, 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 and as far as tax structure, it's still, uh, there are, you know, you, you're not using your social security number. You're, you, you are using an employee and identification number, but uh, that data is still reported on your 1040. Now, when we, now, in terms of, of, of the limited liability, uh, where, what the, or we say the LLC, limited liability company, if someone gets hurt, someone, if someone's hurt on your property or someone brings suit, it stops right there at the company. As, as long as it's demonstrated that you are not the one who agitated or instigated, you know, the, the, whatever happened. Um, with the uh, C Corporation, uh, and that uh, it's because uh, it's, Howie is interesting because when I, when I first heard this in, in, in college, I said, oh, that's interesting. It said a C corporation has all the rights of a person except it can't vote. So I said, oh, that's nice. C corporation have its own lawyers, own attorneys, and it represents itself. There's no, uh, all, all claims fall uh, uh, totally uh, with the C corporation. Now, you say, well, which one do I choose when I'm trying to open up the company? I always say, what is your risk? If you're out there selling lemonade, maybe a C corporation you don't need, maybe an LLC you don't need. Even if you got a cleaning company, maybe a C corporation or LLC you don't need. How, how much exposure do you have uh, out there on the market, you know? So if you have a construction firm and you got a guy going up one story, LLC, yeah. If he's going up five stories, now nah, let's just say two stories and higher, maybe you need a sweet corporation to protect yourself because the guy falls. You, 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 you don't want to be held personally liable and your assets are seized and so forth. You don't want that. Um, oftentimes, uh, that's also rooted in are you seeking to have more investors later? What is the vision of your company? You know, what, you know, because, you know, you mentioned lifestyle, but part, part of it is also a proper tax structure. A lot of clients say to me, I don't want to pay no taxes. I say, that's, no, I say, we're going to say this together. Minimize your tax liability. That's how you look at that. Um, often I tell my clients, it, once you hit a certain dollar amount, let's just say that dollar amount comfortably is three hundred thousand. I'm going to turn you over to uh, turn you over to an attorney that can set up a foundation or trust. Now that's how we need to move. You know, protect your 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 interests or build your interests for you that way. Uh, but also, you know, I I think it comes. You know, when, when we talk about structure, it's how much risk, what's your lifestyle. And which you know, what's your your business? How you know? How does your business mission and your lifestyle mesh together? You know, so I think there are the three factors that that need to be taken into consideration. What's the impact if a company decides to change structure 
uh, after inception. At one point, they say, "Well, I'm a sole, I'm a sole proprietor. Now I think I'm ready to be an LLC, or I'm an LLC, and I decide I want to take on investors." Uh, does one have to have that decision at the beginning of the company, or is it possible to change? No, you can you can change later. You can change later. Um, as a, uh, if you if as you think, my brain was thinking. Okay, you know, um, I think that's a conversation that as you're growing, you may want to visit periodically. You know, uh, but you can you know if you're you're if you're a sole proprietorship, you want to go to LLC. Uh, it's normally you just filling out a piece of paper and say I want to be recognized. Actually, no, you have to do new articles of, of incorporation now uh, for LLC. If you're LLC and you want to be represent uh, recognized as a as a C corporation, it's and you know uh, uh, filling out articles of corporation, selling the assets over, uh, uh, disillusion documents, uh, new employee identification number. Have an accounting professional walk you through the process uh, of closing out your books. Having a, an attorney just draft up a, a, a transfer. Not so much because we're transferring assets and things like that. And closing out all your, your tax liabilities that exist. So it's basically creating a new entity yes. that effectively purchases the assets and the property mm, of the correct. previous entity. Well, you know what? And, 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 so I'm not sure what we would say. Purchase because if it's the same owner, mm-hmm. it, it, it would be it would it would it might just fall on the owner's equity. Just it gets a yeah. sign. You get, yeah, that's correct. That, all right, that's better. Okay, a sign. Yeah, great, Thanks, man. Thanks. So <laughs> we covered uh, the five mistakes that owners of small businesses and founders of startup companies have been making, according to the survey. On the next episode, we're going to cover five or more of the best practices that we've seen from small and medium-sized businesses that have been thriving in this economy. So we get to look at some really positive examples next time. All right, well, till then, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Joe. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions stated represent those of the speakers and not those of their employers, the producers, 2820 Press, or any program sponsors. This podcast does not constitute legal, business, or financial advice, nor should you take any action on anything you hear during this podcast without consulting a competent advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. This has been a 2820 Radio Production.